This is Adam Griffin. I'm here as usual with my co-host, Adam Hawkins. And today we're joined by the wonderful, talented, and intelligent Kyle Worley. Adam, how are you doing today? Good. Good. Thanks for that incredibly deep response. And Kyle, how are you, buddy? Um, I'm better than Adam. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's start off. Oh, yeah. Good point. (laughs) Which one of us? Well, Kyle, you probably already know him as the co-host of Knowing Faith, the newest podcast of the Village Church. <laughs> yeah, they probably already know. <laughs> the audience is clamoring. <laughs> <laughs> we have had a lot of email demands to get you on the show more to oh. kind of bump our listenership. But yeah, how is Knowing Faith going so far? Uh, we're loving it. It's been great to have some good uh, conversation with JT and Jen. It's been fun. I've loved it. Honestly. Really? Yeah, I really have. The, that means a lot. Thank the rapport you. you guys have in the room with each other and how much fun you've been able to have while talking about the Bible is mm-hmm. awesome. I it really, it really it. is fun to be in a room with some people that talk about the Bible sometimes. <laughs> Those people are rarely talking about theology. I'm just saying present company excluded. Talking about the Bible with people is pretty awesome. <laughs> That's great. You don't like talking with us is what I'm hearing. <laughs> we like to talk about culture, yeah. not the Bible. Because culture matters. It know? does. Well, today we're going to have a conversation uh, about hurricanes, disaster relief efforts, about everything that's going on in the world right now, which there is a lot. And we're going to try to make sense of why these things are happening and also talking about a Christian response. And then at the end of the show, we'll play a little bit from Steve Besner. And Stephen Besner is a pastor in SBC Church in Houston, and he's going to share a little bit of his story of actually what it's been like on the ground in Houston and what his church is going through today. I'm really looking forward to this episode in particular. Glad you guys are here with us. All right, there are so many reasons why this is the right discussion to have today when you're talking about a podcast about culture and what's going on in the world. Our hemisphere really has been through it the last couple of weeks and last couple of months. We've seen hurricanes, earthquakes in Mexico in which schools collapsed, Puerto Rico, where the entire nation, the entire island nation is without power. We've seen a lot of the Caribbean torn up, Florida, Houston, the Gulf Coast. Some of it, Kyle's actually been down there. It's where his dad lives. It's where he grew up. It's where his dad leads a church down there. So there's a lot of reasons for us to talk about the serious impact on our culture and on the world. Because people are hurting. Some people have literally lost everything, and they're confused. We're talking about theologically why God would allow something like this, where this comes from. And people think – some people think this is a sign of the end of the times. We've also had a prediction that the world would end in the last couple weeks. What a crazy news cycle we've been in the midst of. And so what does this news cycle need? But our opinions, our thoughts, really what we're going to try to get to today is uh, helping us understand some of the tougher questions people ask in moments like this, and then how can a Christian respond in the midst of it. So let's start with this, just talking about natural disasters in general. How do we as Christians make sense of things like hurricanes, things like tornadoes, things like earthquakes? How do we make sense of this? Is this just the Lord's judgment over those people who deserve it? Is it uh, just birth pains of the end times? Hmm. What is? Why do we have natural disasters? Oh, man. Um this is that's such a good question. I feel like uh, one of the things that we need to kind of just pause a moment and just be clear is that when we're in the midst of suffering, it often feels senseless. And I think that's okay that we feel that way. I think particularly in the face of natural disasters where your neighbor's house could be destroyed and your home is untouched, I mean, natural disasters just can appear to be particularly arbitrary. And so I think we need to acknowledge that we often experience suffering in the moment as something that initially does seem senseless, that that is a real authentic expression that we have. I was, um, when we were ripping out 
and tearing out homes that had flood damage. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was with a group of guys from our church. And as we were down there, there was a, a widow, one of the widows that we were helping. Um, she said, I just don't understand why my home has been destroyed three times mm. in 10 years. Oh, man. Right? So there have been three hurricanes that have hit the Gulf Coast that have caused significant damage. And this woman has had three feet to seven feet of water damage in her home each time. And so to her, it does seem senseless. Now, the Christian knows this isn't true, but we do need to come alongside people who are in the midst of suffering a natural disaster and acknowledge that for them, it feels arbitrary and senseless. The storm could have hit anywhere, yeah. um, and it hit right here where their home is at, uh, and the world is so big, and my home is so small, and yet this storm has decimated my home. And so while— You're bringing up a really good point that, like, theologically—you might be tempted as a pastor to answer the question theologically and in that circumstance miss the person who is suffering, to say, let me tell you why God does this, why this happens. And if you don't come alongside the widow and just say, hey, we can get to that. Let's cry. Yeah. Let's talk about what has to happen next. Let's let's comfort you. Let me be Christ to you right now. And if we just jump to, well, let me take you to a verse that explains why these things happen. We've missed it. Yeah. Yeah. The the impulse to make sense of something Mm -hmm. uh, generally won't solve anything that's going on uh, because what's going on is going on underneath the surface. It's happening at a different level. It's not going to help you under, it's not going to help you move through your suffering, at least not initially, right? Uh, to simply have a conversation in the abstract about why God may allow suffering to happen. Right. Yeah. And it's helpful to eventually come back. Of course. Right. And circle back on that topic when the moment is right. And when the suffering, the impact of the suffering is not as sharp yes, right. as it was in the first breathing moments of it. But because the Christian knows that suffering isn't senseless. That's and right. That, and that the idea that suffering is without purpose is more hopeless than the alternative. That's right. Right? Because purposelessness suffering is of no consolation to anyone. That's right. Hmm. That's really good. So uh, what do you say, Adam? Somebody is suffering. Somebody goes through this. Maybe this is your opportunity since we'll have listeners that literally come from all over. Mm-hmm. What do you say to them now in the comfort of being a pastor, saying you're in the midst of tragedy? And yeah, we can get to in a second, like theologically, what we believe about this. But how does a pastor respond in a moment like this to say, I just want you to think about these things? Yeah, I think so often, you know, the generalized question is so difficult because what's so important when you're um, uh, ministering to someone, um, because look, all of us, uh, all of us are going to be practicing sort of that bearing one another's burdens, being the love of Christ one another. So this isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for, you know, this is for everybody, any, any lay people, when you have friends, family members, whoever, who's going through suffering, so much of it is actually just meeting those people where they are. Uh, we see Jesus do that over and over again in the scriptures. He responds to people differently in their suffering based on who they are. Um, uh, but always he's meeting them where they are. So I think one of the things I would just say really quickly is um, it helps to know the person. If you don't, obviously there's different things you can do. But in general, you're going to know the person. And then just to – I think when you just said a minute ago to weep with them, mm-hmm. I think there is a principle underneath that to just say um, to be there. It's a ministry of presence, to just be there and to be um, to be with them in that moment. Yes, to remind them of the truths of God. Absolutely. If they're, if they're getting down rabbit trails, right, and they're running down to those dark places and believing lies in those moments, yeah. you know, that 
I deserved this, those kind of things. To confront that is good, uh, but even even more than that, to just be with them in the moment um, and and to minister from a sense of, hey, I'm here. I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. You're not in this alone. Um, and and there are people here, including me, who love you very much. And what you do in that moment is you display the love of Christ to them. And and man, what a balm for the soul in that moment. Yeah. I feel like because we come from a Reformed tradition as, as the village church, there are people that would look at uh, a question like, does God determine things like this or does he allow things like this? Might be one that they would feel the village church should be mandated to have a good answer to, or they might assume an answer upon us because they associate us with some version of Calvinism that might say, no, this is God does this, God allow." But where where is that distinction between what God allows and what God determines, especially from a Reformed theological position? Oh, okay. Um, uh, You've got a minute. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially when I just want to be particularly sensitive because I like I, I'm I'm concerned. I was just down there with people that if they heard this podcast, I would want I would want them to hear me say, "This is not the time for us or for you to figure out the mechanics of God's sovereignty." That's, That's right. It's an opportunity for you to trust in His sovereign purposes, and this is what we find in Scripture: is that Scripture is mysterious on the how of God's providential ordering. It is. There's a tension in scripture that yes, God is sovereign in his rule and reign over all things. And yet there are things that from our vantage point appear to be chaotic and out of control. Mm-hmm. And so while scripture may be mysterious on the mechanics of God's providence and ordering and his governance, his rule, it is very clear on the why. Yeah. It's very clear on the why. It's that God is bringing the world to a determined destiny. Mm-hmm. He's bringing the world to its proper end, which is the elimination of suffering. That's right. The new heavens and the new earth and fellowship with God. And so I often tell people that are struggling with providence as it pertains to natural disaster or as it pertains to suffering in general, that I think that there are two um, really monumental aspects of God's providence as it pertains to evil when we're thinking about this. And the first one is that scripture is mysterious on how, but very clear on why. Mm -hmm. And the other part of this is that the Christian faith really reminds us that we're, we are the faith that, that promises that God has stepped into our suffering. Mm -hmm. And so he's well acquainted with our grief and well acquainted with our sorrow and that he is not aloof. He's not distance and he's not viewing it as kind of the uh, big kid in the sky with a magnifying glass, right? That he is very near and has drawn near and has experienced in the son of God and fleshed our suffering. Yeah. Don't you feel like, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I feel like there's a tendency in humans that when something goes wrong personally or collectively for us and there's tragedy, either personally or collectively, natural disaster being a good example, that there's a sense that it feels like I want to know why. And as if knowing a why would be the balm as if that would be the solution, if I could just know why, when in reality, the answer that my heart needs and wants is a who question of who is God again, and he'd be reminded who God is in the midst of that, where I want to know why, I want to have a, did God determine this, did it allow it, did I do something wrong, is God a God of karma, who because I did this, he did that, Uh, which are these lies that we kind of sneak into, Mm -hmm. what we need to be reminded of is similar to what Kyle just pointed out, is who is God again? What does he say about who he is and what he's doing? What are the attributes of God that he is trustworthy? He's good. He's a father who knows how to give good gifts. And I get how that can be confusing in the midst of that tragedy. And yet he says, this is who he is. He has reasons for what is happening. Uh, Kyle touched on this a little bit, but let's talk a little bit more. What are the problems that you run into when you try to connect everything to God's judgment, or this is a sign of the end times, 
What are the problems you run into theologically or philosophically when you say all, all these things are happening because you did this or God's, this is all God's wrath? Well, I, I, I would love to hear what you guys have to say. I would say that I am going to be particularly cautious to speak on behalf of God. Uh, and so I just think that's probably a good rule of thumb. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew twenty four thirty six, the disciples are asking him, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, yeah. not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. So I would say it's particularly presumptuous for us to walk around claiming the day is here or near when the Son of God says that knowledge is held by the Father alone. So I would say beware of anybody who says, well, this is why this has happened, speaking on behalf of God, other than if they were to say, well, listen, sin has broken the world. And part of that brokenness are natural disasters. Romans 8, creation is groaning, right? It's in childbirth pains. And so there is a tumult in creation and in uh, the natural world that is a result of the entrance of sin. So that I think that would be a perfectly acceptable, this is why this is happening. The other perfectly acceptable, this is why this is happening, is because God is somehow, through the darkness, bringing something that will be far more beautiful than anything that we can fathom or dream, which that's, is the new heavens and new earth. That's good. Can you make that distinction a little bit more clear? Because I know that like, we get this, we understand this, but there's a lot of people that don't understand the difference. When we're talking about sin, people automatically think, because I did something wrong, and there's between sin, a broken cosmos, like that the, the sin has impacted everything. So Adam, can you unpack the difference between personal sin and the brokenness of the world? Yeah, I think um, one of the ways uh, just to think about this, it's a way I try to think about it often, is to say there is a sense in which sin is an action, right? There are sinful actions, but I think sin is better understood as both individually mm-hmm. uh, and sort of cosmically as a state of being being. That's a, that's a sort of – bear with me because that's sort of a, a technical term. But what I mean by that is even when you do a sinful action, it shows a state of your heart, right, underneath. Yeah. When the Bible talks about sin so often rather than simply – talking about it just as these, you know, little, you know, oh, it's this one sinful action or that sinful action, uh, especially in the, in the Old Testament, what we see is that when God talks about sin, he's actually talking about just like the state of existence, a brokenness within the world. Um, when God uh, is called for, for I mean, uh, we see this over and over again, but I think the, I think Kyle brought up Romans a minute ago, but when we see, um, when, when, in, when Adam and Eve are tempted in the garden, and when they eat of the fruit that they're not supposed to eat of, mm-hmm. what we don't just see God uh, say, "Well, um, now uh, you know, well you're in trouble. Here's right. a slap on the wrist. Here's something you can do to make it right." What happens is they actually have to leave. Uh, God's presence, in a mm-hmm. sense. There is a brokenness that connects everything. Before you see in the garden, you see um, you see a harmony, you, sh- you see a peacefulness, you see a lack of violence, you see a, 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 a very clear purpose, and then all of a sudden, they're, they are kicked out of the garden, which is an act of God's mercy, actually, um, because he s- says, I'm not going to allow you to live forever in this state. Yeah. Right? So then he kicks them out of the garden. And when they're, at, when they're sort of banished from his direct presence there, uh, you see not just, again, you see not just um, their own sort of the, their own, the effects on themselves, but you see a broken existence. You see death enter the universe. You mm-hmm. see uh, violence enter the universe. So it's just there's, there's all these – there's all this picture of brokenness, including natural disasters, including things like a flood, including – 
all these things are coming into the place. I know that could be very – the flood part can be tricky because that was God's judgment for a particular time and place. So right. I don't want to conflate those issues. But I'm just – I'm trying to show that there is a total brokenness. Right. Well, even the curses in Genesis 3 That's talk right. about the brokenness of the ground. That's right. And that thorns and thistles it will produce. And it, so it's not just – I mean we have – we generally approach sin in a very individualistic way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My sin only affects me and I'm the only one responsible or accountable right. for it. And that's actually not the view of sin that we find in Scripture. And so to maybe pull this back into talking about – natural disaster specifically, because I certainly don't want a listener to hear, okay, the reason my house got flooded and my neighbor's house didn't get flooded is because I sinned and, That's right. and they didn't. Right. That's not what's happening in scripture. It's not what's happening uh, as natural disasters play out. But the cause of natural disasters, the cause of brokenness right. in the natural world is original sin. That's right. right. The ground is broken. The earth is in tumult. Romans 8, it's groaning in childbirth. It's in pain. And we know, um, I think a lot of times as believers uh, and in the world around us, people ask the question, the goodness of God and suffering. And while scriptures may be not as clear as we want it to be uh, on every nuance of how we would ask that question, I think uh, we are left in a position of trying to make sense of it. And the world is really left in a position of trying to make sense of how all this has played out. And so we're just trying to figure out what's the best way to make sense of this. And I think the Christian account is a very faithful way of making sense out of what, of what can appear to be senseless, which is that the world is broken because sin has, been, uh, has entered into the world. That's right. So then how do the people of God respond? Like what is the Bible? The Bible does talk about the brokenness of creation. It talks about the brokenness of humanity. It talks about our brokenness. It does talk about God's judgment at places. It talks about God's mercy. It talks about God's grace. What does the Bible have us do? You see a natural disaster. What is the Christian response? Well, I mean, Micah 6, 8, he has told you, oh, man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so that's what we're called to do, not just in the face of natural disaster, but in all things is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And so I can tell you the way that's playing out in the local level where I grew up at, which is that the church is just coming around to try to meet very real on-the-ground needs. And so that means that uh, my father, who's a pastor in Southeast Texas, they've opened up their church as a refuge, and now Mm -hmm. it's not a refuge. Now it's a sorting place of goods and also services. And so they're bringing people in, they're housing them, they're feeding them, and then they're sending them out into the community with no agenda. It's not like, hey, Hey, would you pray real quick, and then we'd love to work on your house? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or hey, if you if you can, you know, sign this. If you become a member, <laughs> if, you, if you become a member, we'll give you guys hot meals for the next three months. <laughs> right? Um, it's just really um, selfless acts of service of going into that community and connecting that to the gospel is really important, right? Because when look, what's true for all of us in this this side of the fall, right? Which is what we call that moment where sin and death enters the world. Uh, uh, What's true for all of us is that we're going to experience suffering of some type. Absolutely. The Bible's very clear of that. But what was God's response to that, Mm -hmm. right? For us, even individually, what can we say? What was God's response to that? He sent his son into the world to rescue us from it. Yeah. Uh, He sent his son into the world and his son experienced suffering, right? Yeah. And so there's a sense in which we get to say, okay, God saw us. Mm -hmm. He sees us. He sees our suffering. And he's not up there, doesn't care, aloof. I think somebody mentioned that word a minute ago. He saw us. He sent his son to rescue us. And so how do we embody that, 
right? Mm-hmm. How can we it's, – it's because we're loved. It's because in the midst of our suffering, we know there's a God who cares yes. that we can look at other people and say, in the midst of your suffering, we will care. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, it's just a really beautiful picture. We do that not because like we want to be good people. Yeah. We do that because we understand uh, that that's the way our God loves us and we want to love that same way. That's really good. I love that. I mean – what you're talking about, it really sparked for me this sense where I want to be sensitive to those who are in the midst of suffering, but I also don't want anybody to hear us say today, and so there are no answers for you in the midst of that. Yeah, We're yeah. just going to cry with you. Yeah, yeah. But the answer is when you go, why would God – why doesn't God do something about this? The answer is God did do something about That's this. That's right. Yeah, like when you see brokenness and natural disaster, brokenness in individuals, somebody suffering as a result of someone else's sin that seems like, man, they are innocent. Like they suffer. Oh, I just can't get over it, you and you would be tempted to say, why doesn't God do something? Mm-hmm. Which is a fine question to ask, and the answer is he did. That's right. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, mm-hmm. who when he sees a uh, what people would consider a disaster when a tower falls on people, and they say, oh, and he says, don't be tempted to think these people were worse than you. Yeah. No, we are all in the same boat. Romans would say, we've all sinned and fallen short of glory of God. And Christ's response is, we should all repent. We all need Christ. The truth is that all of us need Jesus. All of us need what God has done. So bringing it down here to the village church, the Christian response, Kyle talked about, he's been down there to where there's hurricane relief efforts going on. This is personal for him. He sees his dad doing this day in and day out. How else have we seen the village church, the church at large beyond the village, have a right and good Christian response? They feel like we could encourage this morning, hey, I want to say to the believer, I've seen this and I'm grateful for that. Let's keep that up. Man, I... Like, honestly, I could talk about this all day because I'm so um, – this isn't about, like, tooting our own horn at all. It's just to say when when we see believers act like believers, it's so encouraging. Yeah. And, um, I mean, like, our – we our people did really have done a lot um they they donated tons of stuff we had people just making drives just driving down with like truckloads of things to try to help in any way they could um you know and sometimes good intentions you get in the way at the end of the day yeah. and it's you know so we had people calling down we had people bringing people down there who had family or whatever but maybe didn't have a way down i mean there was just a there was an overwhelming response to the point where we're like we have too much stuff in our foyer like i <laughs> I don't know how we're going to get everything down there. Uh, I can just say that for Plano ourselves. I'm sure you guys have seen in Dallas, Adam uh, and Kyle in Dallas as well. Uh, you've seen how, how, how we've responded. So, yeah. 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 I've seen, uh, you know, displaced people put into Dallas who we, uh, people in our church have tried their best, whether they were medical professionals or just had spare time yeah. or wanted to go entertain or play with kids or walk dogs or whatever it took to go down there and help those people who were here in Dallas. Yeah. And I've seen the efforts of the church where we wanted to pool our income, which is what the Lord calls us to do. Let's pool what he's given all of us so we might give to the one who has less right now. And then men like Kyle who have taken the initiative to say, let's go. Let's see who's available. Let's go. We put uh, our campus put together a short-term trip that's leaving here in a couple weeks, and they uh, filled up very quickly. What I don't want the Village Church to do, and this is, I think, not necessarily a Christian tendency, more is this maybe like an American tendency to have a short attention span for other people's suffering, is to quickly lose sight of the current realities for a world that I don't see every day. That's great. Yeah. And that's as true around the world, you know, whether it's Puerto Rico or whether it's North Korea. You know, we talk about North Korea as it's a 
evil regime right now, but you think there, there's people suffering. One of the big things that's happened in North Korea is starvation on an alarming level, going because I don't see that every day, being in prayer for them and thinking like, what can, what yeah. can the Christian church response be to the suffering of other people? Yeah, no, and I think one of the things, at least I don't want to speak for all of us, but I think one of the ways that natural disasters impacts uh, impact me or the things that I mean because natural disasters are happening all the time all the time yeah. like we did we haven't mentioned the flooding of Mumbai which has been huge and yep. catastrophic yeah. and so natural disasters are happening all the time and I think one of the things that whenever my attention is drawn to a particular natural disaster it reminds me this way of praying for the life of the world and seeking to be mindful and servant-hearted towards the life of the world that's how I should be all the time. Mm, Natural disasters call our heart's attention to what our posture should be all All the time. time. Uh, And so it's not really that natural disasters present an exceptional way to serve. Natural disasters actually just call us to do what Christ has called us to do Mm. in a particular moment. But those things are happening all the time. And I mean, we've seen here in Dallas over the last few years with the hur- uh, with the tornadoes that hit far northeast Dallas and the kind right. of destruction yeah. that was there or the tragedy in our city with the loss of those police officers of just realizing that, man, these things are ever before us mm-hmm. and that they call us to live a selfless life. That's a great point because I think one thing we can be tempted to do when it's when we see it not as okay, this is the posture I should have, right? Mm -hmm. This is happening. But rather, oh man, this big event is there's this paralysis that can set in. Like, well, I'm too small. There's, you know, rather than recognizing God's given you certain gifts, yeah. uh, certain resources, uh, and that we should always have a posture of saying, uh, how do I use my gifts and talents for the kingdom and kingdom purposes? How do I use what God has given me for those purposes? And so that's a gr- just a great point, Kyle, honestly. yeah. Josh Patterson often says, and I love this, he says, action over intention. Mm-hmm. And I think – I love that you shared that. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's such – specifically in those moments when we live in a world right now where the sheer number of things we hear about on a daily basis can lead to paralysis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it really begs us to consider the question of not what am I going to think about doing? What am I going to do? Yeah. Like how am I going to act in this? Yeah. Uh, and that right. action may be – um, as simple but yet as important as intercessory prayer, which we haven't mentioned, but which is absolutely vital yeah. right. for the life of the world and for uh, situations where natural disasters occurred. It may be as simple as giving or going, mm-hmm. but it needs to be something for the believer. That's right. That's good. And let me conclude with this. We've talked a lot about what you can do, and we'll, we'll have some more stuff there too. I just want to remind us all the motivation of the Christian is not uh, the same as the uh, secular charity, right? We don't right. like while in the midst of this, what we can use link arms with our secular charities, our people who are about social justice who do not love Jesus Christ. The motivation of my heart is different. The same way I don't believe that the Lord uh, uh, necessarily does these natural disasters out of punishment for sin, I also don't believe he rewards those who walk in, who come to help because they are so charitable and says, hey, pat you on the head. But it is what we are called to do not so that the Lord would be impressed with us, but we are called to do it because of all the Lord has done for us. This is, this is the love of Christ that he's called us to display to the world. So there are many ways to get involved. 
lots of ways you can right now even start praying for people. And in a moment, we'll share a story from Steve. In particular, we can pray for him and his church in Houston. But there will also be some ways that we would recommend to get involved that we'll have in the show notes on this episode, that if you want to follow up and say, what can I do now, knowing this, knowing this is the call of the Christian, knowing these are the things going on, we'll try to do our best to put some things out there for you. Kyle, Adam, thank you for uh, being here and talking through this difficult issue with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Coming from the conversation we just had with Kyle and Adam, thinking about these things from a Christian perspective, we'd like to take it to on the ground to hear some from Steve Besner, who is a pastor in Houston of an SBC church, and what these last couple months have been like for him and his church. My name is Steve Besner, and I am the senior pastor of Houston Northwest Church. I have been the senior pastor here now for almost five years. I started in January of 2013. Prior to serving here, I was a church planter in Fort Worth, Texas, and I have really enjoyed my time here in Houston. I think that the thing that was so amazing about Hurricane Harvey was the the sheer force of how it uh, began to capture the imagination of the entire city. Uh, the city's gone through several hurricanes, and so a hurricane arriving was newsworthy, but it wasn't something that dominated the entire landscape of conversation even prior to landfall. Once the hurricane made landfall, it began to become clearer that the storm's path for a variety of reasons was going to end up meandering around the Houston area for three days. And so we ended up getting 51 inches of rain in three days, which was, by the way, a record rainfall amount for our state in such a short period of time. Um, Houston is flat. All of the water runs through the city from the west to the east and empties into Galveston Bay. That meant that any rain that fell west of town had to go through town in addition to the rain that was falling on the city. And uh, what we began to see was massive amounts of rain falling west of Houston in the Katy, Fort Bend County area. And immediately, everyone who was familiar with Houston, knowing the drainage problems that the city has had historically, began to become worried, wondering about how those rainwaters would be able to have the capacity to flow through the city. And almost immediately, it began to become clear that that would not bode well for the neighborhoods that were in low-lying areas, but then even worse than that, uh, neighborhoods that had never flooded before. So we began to see massive flooding in the neighborhood around our church. Then we began to see the building directly next to the church campus be flooded. Then we began to see our own church uh, end up flooding. So our church has been on the same piece of property for 44 years, never been flooded before. We ended up with three to four feet across our church campus. Um, in addition to that, uh, we just saw neighborhoods throughout our city, indiscriminate of socioeconomic status, indiscriminate of geography. I mean, we're talking from north to south to east, east to west. No matter what color the neighborhood, no matter what the socioeconomic status, flooding was extensive. Um, FEMA's best estimates are 450,000 people displaced through the flooding of Harvey, that's a tenth of the population of Houston proper. Uh, if you can imagine one out of every ten families being displaced, that's the scale 
of an emergency we were dealing with, not to mention all of the intricacies that go along with that. So the floodwaters have uh, receded at this point. They did not recede as quickly as you would anticipate. Uh, because of the fact that one of the man-made reservoirs in the city had to have its floodgates opened in order to prevent the dam from breaking, there were actually neighborhoods in the city of Houston that had water standing in their homes for three weeks. Uh, as a result of that, uh, there are some individuals who've only been able to get back to their property uh, for about a week at this particular point. Um, but even though the water has receded, we are still in the process of cleaning out uh, the process is called mudding out homes, where you go in and remove wet flooring, sheetrock insulation, furniture, debris. And we've been sending teams from our church all around the city, and as, as have so many other churches in our city as well. And what we're beginning to just realize is that the scope of the mudding out, even though we've been working essentially nonstop for over three weeks at this point, is still going to continue on for another three weeks. And that's just the demolition process before rebuilding. The collaboration has been absolutely amazing. We have seen churches of every denomination binding together because they want to see the city rebuilt. So that's been pretty incredible. In fact, we've actually seen uh, group, you know, all kinds of community organizations, civic organizations, folks of other um, religious faiths coming together because they want to see the city rebuilt. What's been really interesting, though, is that the churches themselves have in my opinion, been the quickest to respond and have, in my opinion, uh, fostered a sense of cooperation and collaboration that was unprecedented prior to this hurricane. And so we're seeing a network that is springing up uh, that is very, very wide, very, very collaborative, and churches are using it so that they can help individuals, but also so that they can get people into the homes of individuals across the city to be able to minister and share the gospel. So uh, we're getting names of family members from people on the other side of the city or in other states. Hey, could you go check on these folks? When we get over there, we obviously want to do work, but we're also looking to, to minister to them, to pray with them, to share with them the good news about who Jesus is. And so it's been really neat to see the churches not only go into relief mode, but also go into spiritual uh, spiritual care mode and to, to look for ways to pastor the city effectively in tandem with one another. So uh, that's been a really, just a really encouraging thing to witness firsthand and to see churches willing to share supplies, share resources uh, freely has been, uh, been really incredible. One of the things that we've found is that we don't begin with the spiritual question simply because in the trauma of loss, that's not the first question that people are asking in that moment. And what we begin with is the sweat equity of working in their home, helping bring in food, bring in supplies, be a presence. And in doing that, typically within the first 24 to 48 hours, there then comes an opportunity where people ask, first of all, why are you doing this? And that gives us an opportunity to share the gospel. And we talk about the incarnation, 
And we use that as an example of how Jesus was incarnate among us and present among us. Consequently, that's our call to do so. But then, as you mentioned, the heavier theological questions come after that. And that gives an opportunity for us to then speak to those issues in a way that points to the redemption found in Christ. And so we find ourselves talking about the redemption that the Lord has brought through this hurricane over and over. So our our sermons have focused on the stories of redemption that we have seen through this, and our stories have focused on uh, the ways that we're seeing redemption in our city from a concrete perspective, and then we use that to parallel what God is doing from a redemptive perspective, spiritually speaking, across our city. And those parallels have been stunning and have been very powerful for people to, to understand and to, uh, and to respond to. Uh, what we're seeing firsthand right now is a transition from the relief portion of Hurricane Harvey to the recovery portion and the rebuilding portion. And so those who have the skills needed in a rebuilding effort will be in high demand, and those who have the supplies needed for a rebuilding effort will be in high demand. And if someone is willing to set aside their schedule and their time and embody Philippians 2, if you will, and decide to be present in the city of Houston even for 24 to 48 hours and hang sheetrock and install electrical outlets and tape and mud sheetrock and hang insulation, those things become very powerful ministry witness tools. Um, I think at the same time, folks that aren't able to do those things, they're asking those, those questions. I think that for us, we've seen the power of continued prayer, praying for God's provision, praying for the Lord to empower the church to speak the gospel boldly in these situations. Um, I also think that in in these particular moments, churches that choose to be generous, whether it be uh, through finances or through some other um, method are able to, uh, to respond effectively. But all of this, I think, has been an incredible illustration for us to be present in the lives of those that we encounter on a daily basis. Because even though we're involved in hurricane relief work right now, everybody's having to go to their day job. And as they're going to their day job, they're suddenly recognizing that the people around them are in a crisis, but it's a different sort of crisis. They're in a crisis of faith, and they're in a crisis where they need to be rescued. And so it's encouraging our church members to be present in the lives of those individuals, to have gospel conversations, to engage them in prayer, and in doing so, they're discovering what it really means to be someone who brings the presence of Christ into whatever domain they exist day to day. Um, It's been a crazy month. Um, So not only did we have dozens of our own church members flooded, and not only did our own church campus get flooded, uh, we found out that we are most likely going to have to demolish our children's building and rebuild it. That's going to be an interesting challenge for the next two years as we seek to rebuild. So you can definitely pray for provision and for creative ministry to flow forth from our church. Um, We also happen to lose um, my wife's mother 
unexpectedly uh, last Sunday. And so that was an added burden on top of all of the things happening here at the church. And then um, in addition to, to those things, um, we're, we're wanting to see God use this in a way that we can stand up and testify regarding folks who were saved through this. It's been something that has really pressed us to learn uh, more and more about what we believe and trusting that the Lord is good in all circumstances. And, um, you know, it's been something that we've said over and over, the Lord is good. And so we, we just keep saying it and keep holding fast to it. And he continues to show us glimpses of of redemption along the way. And so we're trusting that we'll begin to see that even more the longer that we, we walk this road. We're, we're asking God to bring revival through this. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website at tvcresources.net. On our next episode, we're going to change the pace a little bit and talking about fun and video games and how those affect our culture with our special guest, Richard Clark. We'll see you next time. God bless.